Hey, good morning. Come on in and grab a seat. Welcome to Theological Equipping Class, which each week is like a miracle. We start with one loaf and we look up and uh, then there are 12 basketfuls of people left over. All right. Well, this semester we are studying the doctrine of God, and so we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about the fact that God exists. That's one of my favorite facts about God is that He happens to be. Uh, we talked about the fact that God is a trinity, so that we're worshiping the right God. We're not just supposed to have a lot of passion towards something that seems powerful. It's supposed to be the God of the Bible. We talked about God's attributes. Uh, we talked about some ways that we are similar to God and some ways that God is way different from us, and that like He's infinite and wholly other and different and these kind of things. We talked some about God's sovereignty recently. We talked about how can God be good and there still be evil in the world. Last week, Jeff talked about how can God ordain something that we also do really choose. We talked about the uh, Reformed doctrine of what is called compatibilism, that uh, God can ordain something that you also want to do. God ordains that Christ die for our sins, and the people whipping Christ want to do that. Those go together. It's not like they're like, why am I whipping him? I want to worship him. It doesn't work that way. All right? So we talked about that last week. This week, we are going to talk about prayer, which uh, should be a somewhat simple topic. We'll get into some fun things, uh, and hopefully it will encourage us to pray more. I don't know that there are very many people that are just really great prayers. There are a few that I've met. Uh, I am certainly not one of those. Uh, and uh, by the way, if my voice sounds uh, awful still, <coughs> it's because I still have my cough. And by the way, I have apparently a rib that is out of place. Who here knew that your ribs were attached to your spine? Notice that my hand's not up, okay? So I had some back pain, and I went into the chiropractor, and they said I had a rib that was loose. I was like, oh, uh, what does that mean, a loose rib? Well, put it, make it tight. Uh, what is that supposed to mean? And so I've been to the chiropractor three times and spent an hour with a physical therapist, and my back is still killing me. So if I seem weird or twitchy, that's why, okay? Apparently a, a rib is loose and poking me in the lung or something. So uh, you can be praying for that. If it shifts back into place while I'm preaching, you'll know that you have uh, a spiritual gift of faith. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about prayer. Let me give you a definition of prayer. <clears throat> a very simple definition. Prayer is simply personal communication with God. Prayer is simply personal communication with God. Okay? That's all that it is. Prayer is communication with God. What, what God desires from us is a relationship. All right? This is one of the things that makes Christianity different than some other world religions. God's not after us doing a bunch of religious rituals. He's not after us just jumping through hoops to jump through hoops. What God wants is He wants a personal relationship with us, and that personal relationship has a conversation that goes both ways. We talk to God in prayer. He talks to us in His Word. Okay? That's the conversation. We talk to God in prayer, God, I need this, I'm struggling with this, would you help me, would you forgive me, would you show me really who you are, would you do these things in my life, and God speaks to us through his word. So there's a constant conversation uh, going on between us and God, but prayer is personal communication with God. So before we get into what prayer is, let's talk about what prayer is not, okay? A few things that prayer is not. Number one, these are some misconceptions about prayer, misconceptions. The first misconception is you pray so that God can find out what you need. Matthew 6, 8. Do not be like them, meaning the Gentiles, meaning the pagans, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Okay? So we don't pray to inform God. All right? It's not like we're down here struggling with a job or something, and we're like, dear God, I need you to know that I just had a really bad business meeting. And He's doing something with the angels, and He's like, what? A bad business meeting? What was I doing? That's not how it works with God. Okay? We are not informing God of what we need as if... He doesn't already know. 
I had a lady one time tell me that I needed to make sure that I was really, really specific and said everything right in my prayer or else God would somehow grant it in a terrible way, right? Almost like on those movies where someone makes a deal with the devil and the devil tricks them. You know, they say they want gold and so he like turns them into gold or something like that and it's not really what they were wanting. That's not how God works, okay? And so the first misconception we have about prayer is that we're praying somehow so that we can inform God or so that, uh, so that God can find out what we need, okay? That's not true. Number two, <clears throat> the second misconception about prayer is that you have to use fancy or eloquent words. Again, if prayer is personal communication with God, you can talk to God the same way that you would talk to anybody else, okay? He's already condescended himself to speak to us in his word, and he condescends himself in a sense so that he can hear your prayers, and so you don't have to use fancy, eloquent words. It's not wrong to, but you don't have to, okay? Uh, anybody here ever uh, get together with family on Thanksgiving, maybe from out of town, and all of a sudden, when it comes time to bless the Thanksgiving meal, you call on Uncle Bob or whoever, and you know Uncle Bob hasn't been to church in like 18 years, and he has his new girlfriend with him or whatever, and you're like, Uncle Bob, would you like to bless this meal for Thanksgiving? And then all of a sudden, you get the most refined King James English you've ever heard in your life. He's like, dearest God, we betwixt thee thine, and you're like, betwixt? You're a NASCAR fan. What do you mean betwixt, you know? So one of the things you need to know with prayer is that you don't have to use fancy or eloquent words, okay? How would you speak to another person if you needed something? How would you go to your spouse if you needed something? Or how would you go to a doctor if you needed something? How would you talk to them? You wouldn't think that you had to use some sort of formula. You wouldn't think that you had to use fancy words or something like that. So one of the things you need to know is that your prayer doesn't have to sound like you're praying 600 years ago, all right? You can just pray and talk to God as you would talk to anybody else, okay? Number three, another misconception about prayer is that you command God what to do, as if he's some sort of divine slot machine or some sort of divine genie. That you, there's, this idea comes out a lot in kind of the word of faith, prosperity gospel movement, which kind of thinks if I pray something to God and I believe it hard enough, God must do it because he follows my commands, okay? That's super backwards. God tells you what to do. He's in charge. You do not tell God what to do. You are not in charge, okay? You're a person made from the dirt, and you make requests of God, and he's kind to answer them, but you guys are not on the same level. You do not look him in the eye, okay? It does not work that way, all right? So keep that in mind that prayer is not where you're commanding God what to do, nor is he forced to do something just because you really, really, really believe it and tell him to, okay? God is sovereign. He's gracious. He's kind. He's merciful. He will absolutely do what he's promised to do. So if you're asking him to do something he's already promised, like, God, help me grow in sanctification, he will do that because he's promised that. But when it comes to something he's not promised, you do not command God what to do. You appeal to him, all right? You appeal to him. Y'all are not on the same level, okay? Another misconception about prayer <coughs> is that it's merely a ritual, <clears throat> is that it's merely a ritual. I was talking to somebody recently, and uh, he said something I thought was really good. He said, every night before I go to bed, I say the same thing in my prayer. I just say the same thing in my prayer before I go to bed. And he goes, and I realized the other day that I've been praying for my dog, and my dog's been dead for 10 years, all right? It can become ritualistic sometimes. So prayer is not merely a ritual. It's not wrong to pray at certain set times. That's fine. But God is not after it as though it's just some sort of good ritual that you do. This isn't Islam. This isn't you must pray five times a day and you must use these kind of Arabic words and these kind of things because God's just after orthopraxy. He's just after correct practice. 
But rather, again, we're talking to God. We're having a personal communication with God. It's not merely a ritual. That's a misconception. God does have rituals. We have rituals in Christianity, things like baptism, things like communion, things like ordination, etc. But those things are more than that. God's not after them just because they're a ritual. He's after the heart behind those things. Okay? Another misconception about prayer is that God doesn't hear my prayer or He doesn't care. If you are a believer in Christ, God always hears your prayer and He always cares. That doesn't mean He'll always answer it, but it's, if He doesn't answer it, it's not because He's unloving. It's not because uh, He somehow doesn't care or something like that. If He doesn't answer it, it's because He's doing something else for your good. He works all things to the good of those that love Him, that are called according to His purposes. But the reason He uh, doesn't answer prayer is not because He doesn't hear you, so if you ever feel like, as a Christian, your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, that is a false feeling. God always hears your prayer, and He always cares. Now, again, doesn't mean He'll always answer it. Sometimes it's not good for you. Sometimes you're walking in sin, which can hinder your prayer, and He hears it and says, no, not until you're not walking in that sin. But you need to realize that God does care, okay? God does care. It's not like, so let me tell you one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, or Baal is what it is in Hebrew, but the prophets of Baal. Y'all know this story? So basically, they they set up this big divine bet, uh, and Elijah's like, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to ask Yahweh to burn up this sacrifice, and you guys cry out to your God and ask him to burn up the sacrifice, and whoever answers, that's the real God. And what the prophets of Baal, what the prophets of Baal do is they get out there and they start screaming because their God doesn't really care about them in pagan religion. They're basically trying to do witchcraft, trying to provoke their God to move. And so they're screaming, they're crying out. They even take rocks and start cutting themselves, saying, don't you care, basically, is what they're saying to the gods. Look, we're going through pain, we're manipulating blood, we're, we're trying to manipulate you, we're trying to do witchcraft, we're trying to do ritual to get you to move. And Elijah says... Maybe you should yell louder. That's what I love. He even says that maybe your God's in the restroom. That's his thing. That's not me trying to be crass. He says maybe your God's relieving himself. Maybe he's in the bathroom. He's got the little fan on. He can't hear you. You need to yell. You need to yell louder. And then when Elijah prays, he simply goes before God and says, God, remember your covenant with Israel. Remember that you love us, that there's promises here, that there's a relationship here, and God burns up the sacrifice, even the water around it. Okay? That's how we appeal to God. He's not some far-off deity that we scream to because he doesn't care and he's doing something else and he's just annoyed with humanity. He very much loves humanity. He very much uh, cares for humanity. In fact, the second person of the Trinity becomes human, all right? So in a sense, humanity and God are linked in Christ forever. Another misconception about prayer, quote, that you have to do it right. Now, this will be super freeing, okay? This will be super freeing. We have a tendency sometimes to think that to, to have an effective prayer We have to say all the right words. We have to to mean it hard enough. We have to do all these right things or else God won't hear us. Let me just encourage you. If you're thinking, Zach, I'm not sure that I pray right. Let me just tell you biblically, you don't pray right. Let me just give you a passage. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray uh, for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. Meaning, you don't pray right. You don't know what you need. You don't think of God rightly. You don't do everything right. But guess what? The spirit inside of you cries out, in a sense, when you're praying and fuels and encourages your prayer so that, in a sense, the right thing is prayed for. Okay? So if you're thinking, man, I just don't feel like I'm very good at practically at praying. You're not. But guess what? The spirit inside of you is the one who's interceding for you. And when you're saying, God, I really need a new Ferrari, he's saying, he doesn't need a new Ferrari. That's going to lead him away from you or whatever. All right? So, so be encouraged in that. Again, 
<clears throat> it's not as though just that you're saved by grace, everything you have is by grace, okay? We don't even pray rightly. We don't have perfect faith. We have doubts. We have worries. Nobody in here conceives of God perfectly, okay? God still is who he says he is, but we don't conceive of him perfectly, and yet God is gracious, okay? God is gracious. And then lastly, number seven, another misconception about prayer <clears throat> is that I only pray that it may affect my attitude or change me, okay? There's a very, very famous C.S. Lewis quote. Everybody know who C.S. Lewis is? Okay, C.S. Lewis, he's kind of a big deal. If you don't know who he is, look him up. Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe, Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, brilliant, okay? Uh, one of the things that he says is he's praying one time, and someone asks him, do you really think that praying changes anything? And he says, no, but I think God changes me in prayer. Mmm, and that sounds really deep, but that's not biblical. We have not because we ask not. Prayer actually does stuff, okay? So it's not just that we're changed in prayer, although it is true that we're changed in prayer. We actually pray because that's the way that God has ordained to accomplish what he wants to work out in the world, okay? <clears throat> so it does affect our attitude, but we, it's not just that it affects our attitude, okay? <clears throat> Sorry, the coughing and the back spasms and the rib. A special shout-out, thank you to Eric Sproul, who took time out of his day. He's a physical therapist to uh, work on my back as I laid on his floor in the living room with, like, children's toys all around, okay? So, all right, number three, why do we pray? Why do we pray? Now, here's something that's really interesting before we get into the answers to this. God could have made it where he just does everything himself, and he doesn't use humanity, okay? In fact, he would have done a much better job. If instead of using us for evangelism, he just teleported the gospel into the minds of his elect, if instead of having us go to work and provide food and these kind of things, he just plopped food on the table, he could have done everything directly. But here's something that's interesting and fascinating that you need to know about God. God likes using humans. God likes us to be a part of what he's, of what he's doing. That's part of his sharing and loving and kind nature is that he uses us, though he didn't have to. He could have done things directly. And so one of the ways that he uses us to accomplish his purposes is through prayer. He could have just done it. When grandma goes in the hospital, he could have just healed grandma. But instead, he has you pray for grandma, and then he heals her so that you get to beg God. You get to be in relationship with God. You get to see him work. When grandma's healed, you realize that God has answered your prayers. It's a relationship thing, okay? So why do we pray? A few reasons. Number one, <coughs> and this is, I think, probably the biggest one. It expresses our trust in and dependence upon God, okay? The reason we pray is because it expresses our trust in and dependence upon God. By the way, this is really all God wants from you in everything. In life, in your marriage, in your job, when you're going through sickness, when something's difficult, in prayer. What prayer does is it is an act of humility. Jeff Ashley was actually mentioning this this morning, that it is part of the reason that we don't pray subtly is because of pride. We forget how dependent we are. We forget that we don't make our hearts beat. We forget that we don't keep ourselves in being. We forget that we don't determine whether or not we get a brain aneurysm that we are absolutely, absolutely, absolutely dependent upon God for everything, for everything, and we forget that. And so the first thing that prayer does is it shows our dependence and our reliance upon God, okay? Number two, your prayer shows, well, not number two and why do we pray, but as a subpoint of number one, your prayer shows whether or not you truly believe that God loves you, that he has what's best for your life, and that he is powerful. To say it in short, your prayer and your prayer life show what you really think about God, okay? I saw a quote uh, earlier this week. I think it, again, was by C.S. Lewis. Maybe it was by somebody else. Maybe it was by Don Carson. And they just said, I've never met a consistently, chronically anxious person with a really powerful prayer life. 
And I was like, ooh, that was convicting because that's me, all right? Okay. Number two, why do we pray? It, it's a way to fellowship with God. If our goal is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, you have to talk to Him. You have a relationship with Him. If I wanted to have a relationship with my wife and I never talked to her, that would not go very well. Okay, that's what happens when we don't pray. Or if I wanted to have a relationship with my wife and she never talked to me and I just said, you just sit there. I'm just going to kind of have a conversation, but I'm not going to hear anything that you say. One, that would not go well. But two, our relationship wouldn't grow. That's kind of what happens when we don't read the Bible. When we don't pray, we're not talking to God. When we don't read the Bible, we're not hearing him talk to us. <clears throat> and so what God is wanting in prayer is God it wants fellowship. Okay? Imagine if you had a friendship that you treated the way that we treated God in prayer. Okay? So you call this person in the middle of the day, and you give them some sort of rote, all right? You call them, and you're like, hey, Bob, uh, forgive me for my sins today because I did all this, and uh, talk to you tomorrow. And that was it. That was your relationship. Little short snippets, never spending time with them, never fellowshipping with them, never talking to them, just kind of going through little rituals. You call them the next day. You're like, hey, Bob, uh, I need some more religious language. Betwixt thine thou hast. Okay, see you later. And that was it you would not grow very well in your relationship with that person. And for some reason, we kind of talk to God that way, okay? There are times for long periods of prayer. There are also times for short little prayers. I'm not against short prayers. Those are great. What I'm trying to say, though, is that prayer is about more than just doing a religious ritual so you can check your box to get the Spirit off your back. Prayer, rather, is about having fellowship with God. It's having a relationship with God. It's talking to Him, okay? Number three, when we pray, we're involved in God's work, okay? Prayer actually accomplishes things, Prayer actually accomplishes things. Now, here's a great theology question at this point that comes up <coughs> that people ask to try to trip up the teacher, and here's the question. If God has already ordained everything, why do we pray? You ever wondered that? Let me say it this way. If God is sovereign, why do we pray? And here's a great answer. Because He's sovereign, all right? Why would you pray if He's not sovereign? I can turn that question around pretty quickly. If God can't actually control anything, then prayer makes no sense. But if God has already ordained things, then why do we pray? And here's the answer. Ready? Because God doesn't just ordain the end. He also ordains the means by which he accomplishes that end. He ordains both of them. So it's not just that God ordains to save somebody. He does. He ordains that the way that person is going to be saved is through us sharing the gospel. Or it's not just that God has ordained to heal sick grandmother while she's in the, the hospital. He's ordained that the way that he's going to heal grandmother is through our prayers. Okay? We don't know what God has ordained. We don't get to guess and then therefore do nothing. Our prayers will show what God has already ordained. But God ordains the end as well as the means. Has God ordained for me to get dinner tonight? I'll just tell you, the answer I think is yes. And the answer is buffalo wings. Buffalo wings are part of God's grace. Okay? Before the fall, all the trees just grew buffalo wings. And then there was the fall. And you got cats and onions and all these other bad things I don't like. Has God ordained for me to get dinner tonight? Yes, I think so. But is he going to do that by me just sitting there? Or is he going to do so by me driving to Wingstop? By me driving to Wingstop. Now, that doesn't mean he hasn't ordained one. It means he's ordained the end, Wingstop, and he's ordained the means, me driving to Wingstop, okay? So when grandmother is sick in the hospital, I don't know what God's will is. I don't know whether or not he's going to heal her or he is not going to. All I know is that he has commanded me to pray, and for some reason when I pray, she gets well more often than if I were to not pray. So you say, well, God's already ordained if he's going to heal her, so I'm not going to pray. Well, then you might find out that God has not ordained to heal her. Okay? Again, God's made the decision. 
We don't get to see things from God's view. So all we can do is be faithful now and beg God to move and say, God, we pray and wish and are hoping that you would please heal Grandma. Okay? <clears throat> now, the effectiveness of prayer. Number four, Roman numeral four, I, IV. The effectiveness of prayer. Number one, prayer actually affects things. Okay? Prayer actually affects things. When we talked about God's sovereignty last week, Jeff said something that is super important always in theology and always in studying the Bible. He said this, that we always have to hold what the Bible says in tension, and we can't deny one side just because we don't understand how it fits together. We affirm that there's only one God, but somehow God is three distinct persons at the same time. We don't know how those fit, but we're not going to deny one of them because the Bible teaches both. The Bible affirms that God is absolutely sovereign. Not even a bird falls from the sky apart from his will. But the Bible also affirms that we are going to be held responsible for our actions, and we will give an account before God for those actions. Just because I don't know how those fit, I don't get to deny one of those. In the same way, God is sovereign and he has ordained everything, and yet he commands us to pray and promises that prayer actually has an effect on the world. And I don't know how those two go together, but I am not free because of my frail human mind, because I just can't understand something, to therefore deny one of those things, okay? We submit our lives to Scripture. We don't submit our lives to Scripture whether just because we can figure something out or not. Then you find yourself not submitting to Scripture. You find yourself submitting to you, okay? You find yourself submitting to you. So the Bible's very clear that prayer somehow seems to actually have an effect on the world, okay? James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. The implication there is that had you asked, God would have given it. So <clears throat> here's kind of how prayer works. My son will come up to me, and he will ask me for something, okay? I hear him when he asks. I care about what he's asking about. <clears throat> we have a personal relationship. I don't care if he gets all the words right. If he said, I have cookie, and he means I want a cookie, I'm not tripped up because he doesn't know how to use words because I'm a loving dad. And so what he'll do is he will come up, and he will ask me for something. Sometimes maybe I'm eating a cookie or something. And I wasn't going to give him any, but now that he's come up and he says, can I have a cookie, I think, yeah. Had you not asked, I wouldn't have given it to you. But because you asked, I'm going to give it to you. And I'll give him a cookie or whatever it is. That only doesn't work when I'm eating something super spicy. He's like, have some of that? And I'm like, no, this is a pure habanero pepper. This will, I will get take, you'll get taken away by CPS if I give this to you. Okay. Luke 11, 9 through 10 says this. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. There's this idea of persistence. There's this idea of begging God, following God, asking God over and over and over again for something. Second Chronicles 7.14. You'll often see this uh, verse misapplied by people. But Second uh, Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. The idea here is repentance and faith and prayer somehow changes the results. Specifically, this is written to Israel. But the idea there is that though they're walking in sin, if they will repent and they will beg God to move, God will fix whatever's going bad in Israel. Okay? Number two on the effectiveness of prayer, our confidence that we're heard in prayer because of Jesus. If I try to go to the White House at 2 in the morning and go wake up the president for a glass of water, how is that going to work? How well is that going to work? I sneak in. I'm wearing some pajamas as a grown man and a beard. And I sneak in, and I, like, karate chop some secret service and run by, and then I shake the president. I'm like, 
I'm thirsty. I want some water. I'm going to be killed like so fast, okay? So many bullets are going to go through my body. It's going to be crazy. Why? Because I don't have a relationship with the president. I don't have that kind of access to somebody in authority. Now, here's what's crazy. Being forgiven, loved, orthodox, biblical children of God, we have access to the creator of the universe at two in the morning to beg him and ask him for water. We are like little kids that can go up to their daddy's bed, whereas other people couldn't. Other people are further away, okay? We have access to God because of Christ, because of Christ. Now, does God hear the prayers of lost people? Does God hear the prayers of lost people? Well, yes, he hears them. Obviously, he knows everything that's going on. Does he listen to them, though, the same way that he listens to prayers by believers? He does not. God does not promise to answer prayers to non-believers. Now, sometimes he does because they're, he's gracious, right? There are times where lost people, you even see this in the Bible, somebody that doesn't even trust in Yahweh, they'll repent for a season or they'll pray and God will somehow be gracious to them. So yes, God is always free to be gracious. He always hears their prayer, but he has a special relationship with believers that he doesn't have with lost people. Maybe the example is if my son asked me for something, I listen to that differently than if the neighborhood kid across the street asked me for something. There are times if that neighborhood kid across the street asks me for something, hey, Mr. Lee, will you throw the ball back in our yard or something like that? We're all do that. I'm not just going to pull out my knife and be like, keep it out of my yard and pop it or something. There are times where I'll be gracious and I'll throw it back. But my relationship with someone else's kids is different than my relationship with my own kids. If you know Christ, you have become an adopted child of God. Jesus is the Son of God by nature, the eternal Son of God. We're not like that. We're adopted into God's family. We're not gods or anything like that. We're just people, but God adopts us as his kids. And what happens then is we have this special relationship and access uh, to God because of Christ, okay? <clears throat> a sinner does not get to go before the almighty, all-powerful being of the universe as a sinner, okay? You don't get to do that. You show up with God as a sinner, and you just get evaporated. You just get destroyed. But because of Christ, we now have access to God through Christ. God sees us as perfect as Christ. God sees us with his Jesus glasses on. And so now, though I'm sinful, practically down here on earth, because I'm seen as being perfect and righteous and in Christ, I now have access to the Father even when I'm struggling, even when I'm hurting, even when I'm struggling with some type of sin, even when I haven't cleaned something up in my life. I have access to God because of Christ. That's what it actually means when we pray in Jesus' name, okay? You'll hear a lot of times that we will end prayers with, in Jesus' name, amen. Why do we do that? It's not a magical formula just tacked on to the end of the prayer. If you're thinking of it that way, that's not how God works. Again, God doesn't use witchcraft or mantras or us doing things to manipulate God. It's not as though I pray a prayer and I forget to say that, and God's like, you didn't say the magic words. The idea of saying, in Jesus' name, is what we're saying is, by the way, I realize that I only have access to even make this prayer because of what Christ has done. That's what we're saying, that I only have access to God because of what Christ has done. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. So whether you say it or not, you don't have to. I think it's good to say it because it's a reminder, especially corporately, that we're praying to God through Christ. We only have access to God because of Christ. But you wouldn't have to. There are times people will pray and say, God, we thank you that you've sent Christ who allows us to have access to you. And then they'll say their prayer and they'll just say amen. So again, the issue is not formulas or mantras. The issue is whether or not you're realizing what Christ has done for you, which is the only reason you have access to God to pray to him to begin with, okay? 
John 14, 13 through 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Okay? That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Now, let's ask a question. Can we pray biblically directly to Jesus? And or can we pray directly to the Holy Spirit? Again, we studied earlier on in the semester the fact that God is a trinity. Somehow there's only one God. We're not polytheists. We're monotheists. There's only one God. But somehow this one God consists of three distinct persons, that somehow the Father is God and the Son is God and the Spirit is God, but the Father's not the Son and the the Son's not the Spirit and the Father's not the Spirit. There's this mystery the Bible reveals in Christianity that we call the Trinity. So can we pray directly to Jesus? Can we pray directly to the Spirit? The answer to that is yes. Let me give you some things. First of all, let's talk about praying directly to Jesus. We actually have some examples of this in the Bible. Revelation 22.20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Notice that that's a prayer specifically directed to Jesus. You're asking him to come. You're asking him to return. You're asking him to fix what's gone wrong in the world. Here's another example of that. Acts 7, 59. This is where Stephen is being stoned. And what that means is he's being pelted with rocks. That's not a drug reference. He's being pelted with rocks until he is killed. Acts 7, 59. And as they're stoning Stephen, as they're throwing rocks at him for his testimony of being a Christian, he says this. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, look what Stephen says here, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Notice there that he's praying directly to Jesus. John 14, 14, Jesus says this, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Notice here in John specifically, you can ask Jesus for something. Apparently, you can pray to Jesus. Elsewhere in the Bible, people worship Jesus, okay? Again, because after all, he is God. He's the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, okay? In Acts 9, Ananias, the guy that baptizes the Apostle Paul, seems to talk to Jesus in Acts 9, okay? He talks to Jesus in Acts 9. So are there clear biblical examples of people praying directly to Jesus? Yes. Uh, Are there clear, direct biblical examples of people praying to the Holy Spirit? The only one that might be there is there is in Ezekiel 7, where Ezekiel is told to say to the, and the word translated in Hebrew means wind, breath, spirit. It might be a reference to praying to the spirit. So let me say it this way. Are there direct texts? Can you pray to Jesus? Yes, and there are direct texts that say that. Can you pray to the spirit? The answer is yes. We don't have direct texts in the Bible that say thou can pray to the spirit, but because he is God, there's nothing wrong with before you go into a meeting saying, spirit, would you give me wisdom? Or nothing wrong in worship of asking the spirit to move in worship or something like that. If he is truly God and shares all the attributes of God, which he does, then it would be okay to pray to the Spirit as well. Now, here's the way, though, that I'm going to primarily encourage you to pray. I think the best way to pray is in a Trinitarian way. The best way to pray is in a Trinitarian way, where you're praying to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, again, if you're saying, oh, Zach, I don't know if I know how to pray a super good Trinitarian prayer. See my earlier notes. If you never know how to pray rightly, so don't worry about it. You'll be okay. All right? But here's what I mean by that. Here, here's ideally, I think, maybe the best way to pray <coughs> is I address my prayer to the Father. I realize that I can only come to the Father because of what Christ has done. That's what it means to go through the Son. And that prayer is being empowered by the Holy Spirit. We don't know how to pray rightly. The Spirit prays on our behalf. Okay? So a Trinitarian prayer would look something like this. Let's say that I'm uh, struggling with anxiety. I might say something like this. Father, I thank you that you love me and you're powerful and you're sovereign and that you love me 
and that I'm not seen as a sinner in your eyes. I'm seen as perfect only because of Christ. And it's because of Christ that I need forgiveness for my sin of anxiety, and I need to better see who you are. And I thank you that you've given me the Holy Spirit by whom I'm able to cry out, Abba, Father, and have a relationship with you. Would you please help me with my anxiety? Amen. You see what I'm doing there? There, I'm praying to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Now again, that doesn't mean you can't just shoot up a prayer to Jesus. You can, or to the Spirit, or to the Father. Oh, that's fine. But I think it's good if over time we shape our thinking to pray in a Trinitarian way. If God is really Trinitarian, I would encourage us to pray in Trinitarian ways. By the way, you'll see the Apostle Paul a lot of time in his letters like that. May the grace of the Father and the Spirit of Christ be with you. And he'll say something as like a benediction or a prayer that's Trinitarian. We actually have an example of one of those out in the, uh, the hallway from those uh, cool pictures that Tim put up as our resident millennial hipster. Okay. Important considerations for effective prayer. Number one, pray according to God's will. Pray according to God's will. Let's talk about what that does and doesn't mean. Let me give you a passage first. 1 John 5.14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, okay? So, when you pray, there are things you should know that God has already promised to do, and those are the things in his word. And then there are times where you pray for things that God hasn't talked about, and you don't know what he's going to do, okay? So, for example, how much confidence should I have when I pray that God will answer the prayer if I pray something like, God, would you glorify your name? Is he going to answer that prayer? Yeah, like how, what percentage of the time? Like 100% of the time, okay? If I pray something like, God, help me love you more. Grow me over time in my spirituality. Is he going to answer that prayer? Yes, he is. He's already promised to sanctify me. That he who began a good work in me will be sure to bring it to completion, okay? Or if I pray something like, uh, you know, whatever it might be, something that he's promised in his word, you need to realize if you're praying something God's already promised, you have a 100% guarantee he's going to do that. Okay? This is why, by the way, if you're one of those people that feels like you have to say the sinner's prayer every day, or you've done that like a thousand times just hoping one of those are going to stick, guess what? God's already promised you that if you put your faith in Christ, he will save you. You don't have to keep heaping up many words like the pagans as if he doesn't care. Okay? If he's promised something to you, you can take that to the bank. So if you're praying for something that God's already promised, you pray it, you know it, you have faith, great. Now, what about things you don't know whether or not God will answer it? He hasn't promised that, for example, if my grandmother's sick in the hospital, that he will heal my grandmother. There are people uh, on TV wearing uh, very, very expensive flashy suits that will tell you that is what God has promised, but nowhere in the Bible does he actually promise that, okay? So what do I do if I don't know if something is God's will? Well, what I do is I pray for what I want, and I trust God for that. I really do trust God for that, that if that's what's best, he'll give that to me, but I also realize that God is sovereign and he knows what's best, And so my prayer ends with a hope and trust of God as a person even more than it does for the thing that I'm asking for. I'll give you an example. Let's say my grandmother is in the hospital and I want her to be well. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go before God and I'm going to say, God, would you please heal my sweet grandmother? Would you help her not be in any pain? Would you give the doctor's wisdom? Would you please heal her? And I'm trusting you with this and I thank you for this. I thank you for this in advance. I think that you're going to do it. But I also know that you're sovereign, and you might decide not to do that. I'm not saying that because I doubt God. A lot of people think that if you say, well, God, your will be done, you're somehow just saying, well, I don't really believe this prayer to begin with, or something at the end of your prayer. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm actually saying is this. My faith is more in God as a person to do what's best 
than it is in how hard I'm praying for the one thing that I want. Okay? God, please heal my grandmother. I want you to do that. I trust you to do that. But I also know that you're sovereign. So if you decide not to do that, I confess that you're good. That's not a way of me not really having faith that he'll do it. It's a way of me saying, ultimately, faith is hope in God as a person, or rather a trinity of persons, and not that you've figured out exactly what God's going to do. Okay? <clears throat> Number two, pray with faith. Pray with faith. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, you can't read that without qualification. We interpret the whole Bible together. Okay? If I go up to my son and I say, son, I'd love to give you some, some good piece of candy. So let's say we're at the candy store. And I say, Judah, you can pick out anything in this store you want. And if he, like, points to the cash register that has a knife on it, and he's like, I want that. I'm like, okay. What I meant by that is anything that actually is good for you, anything that actually could help you, not something that you could use to hurt yourself. If Judah comes and asks me for a cookie, it's not as though I always give it to him. I always do what's best. If he, do, if he should have a cookie, I give him a cookie. If he should not have a cookie, I don't give him a cookie. And then he whines, and then he gets in trouble, and he's still grown through the discipline, okay? But I do what's best for him. His job is to make the appeal. His job is to make the request. It's my job as a good parent to give him what he needs. God is the same way. Sometimes we go up to God, and we say, God, can I have a cookie? And he says, yeah, you can have a cookie. Other times, we're like, God, can I have a cookie? And he's like, no, you can't. And then we're like, why? And we freak out. And he's like, I know more that's going on than you. You might not believe that. I've been around a little bit longer, a little bit bigger. You're just going to have to trust me. Judah doesn't understand when I don't give him something spicy, it's because I don't want it to hurt him. He doesn't get that. He just thinks I'm keeping something good from him. We have a tendency a lot of times to do the same thing to God. We assume that if he doesn't answer our prayers it's because he doesn't love us or doesn't care for us, instead of realizing he actually has what's best in mind for us. <clears throat> but we are to pray with faith. James 1, 6-7. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Okay? Now, God is still gracious, by the way, a lot of times to answer our prayers, though we have doubts. But that's just because God is gracious. We are to ask in faith, though. Number three, <clears throat> another tip for effective prayer, walking in obedience. 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Look at this last part. So that your prayers may not be hindered. If you are a guy who is harsh with your wife, and this would include other sins as well. This is just an example of one. Uh, that hinders your prayers. There are sometimes people who are like, man, I keep praying for something. Why isn't God answering my prayer? And they're walking in some type of unrepentant sin. Maybe sometimes that's why. Okay? God is wanting you to repent, before he answers your prayer so that you don't continue in the sin. Number four, confess your sin, okay? When you pray, confess your sin. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he says in Matthew 6, uh, where is it? There it is. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he says in Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. That what we're supposed to do is we are to repent in prayer. Now, why do we repent post-conversion if we're already forgiven for our sins? when you come to know Christ, you're forgiven of all sins, past, present, and future. Why then do we daily repent of our sins before God? Let me just, let me give you an example. When I offend Katie, or I say something I shouldn't have said to Katie, or I'm snippy, or I say something insensitive, or something that is just, I'm not going to use a bad word, that is just really dumb. I just shouldn't have said it, okay? In that moment, do we stop being married? No. By the way, the answer is no. Uh, in that moment, we don't stop being married. In that moment, do we stop loving one another? No, at least I hope not. She might stop loving me for like five minutes. 
but we're still married. We still have a relationship. But what do I do? I go before her and I repent. That's what I'm doing when I'm saying I'm sorry. I'm saying, Lord, Katie, will thou have mercy on me, a sinner, right? I was stupid. I shouldn't have said that. Will you forgive me? And she reaches out her scepter and grants me mercy, right? Now, in that moment, we don't stop being married. We don't stop loving each other. But that, that conflict has caused a little rift in the relationship. And so that what I do is, is I, we reconcile. That's why we repent. When you sin post-conversion, you're still loved by God. You're still adopted by God. He still sees you as 100% perfect, okay? But the reason that we repent is because though we're already in relationship with God, our sin does cause some sort of small rift. And so what we're doing is we're saying, God, I know you love me. I've messed up. Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? But repentance is important for having your prayers answered. Martin Luther would say all of the Christian life is to be one of repentance. (coughs) Number five, forgiving others to make your prayers more effective. You have to forgive others. Matthew 6, 14 through 15, we're going to look at this a lot at the end. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. People who have been shown grace show grace in return. Okay? So if you have just somebody you just have not forgiven, you're just bitter with them, you're angry, you don't care, you're never going to let go, and you're wondering why your prayers aren't answered, let me just lovingly answer that question for you. It's because of that thing I just said with the unforgiveness, okay? So forgiveness is helpful for effective prayer. Number six, have humility. Have humility. A proud prayer is ironic and make no sense, okay? Luke 18, 10 through 14, here's what it says. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Here, specifically, Jesus is talking about two different ways these two men pray. One is the religious church guy, and he basically prays to himself. He basically is like, God, I thank you that I'm so awesome, and I always come to church, and I always read my Bible, and I always tithe so much in my name. Amen. That's kind of what he's doing. And then the tax collector, which in the New Testament, tax collectors were teamed up with Rome. They were seen as traitors to Israel. They were seen as sinful, kind of the Benedict Arnold of the first world. And this tax collector goes up and simply won't even lift his eyes, and he beats his chest, and he says, God, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? And that's it. Would you have mercy? I'm a sinner. I'm not great like this guy. I'm a sinner. Would you have mercy on me? And Jesus says that it's that guy who goes home justified, not the other guy. Have humility in prayer. Number seven, continue in prayer over time. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Luke 18.5 through 7, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? <clears throat> That's an excerpt that Jesus tells of a story of this widow that keeps going to this judge to get justice. And he eventually, she eventually wears him down, and the judge is so annoyed that the judge answers her petition. Now, the point of that parable is not that God is annoyed with you. The point of that parable is her continualness. That's the point of the parable. Not that God's just like the judge, but rather we should be just like the woman. 
where we're continually asking God. Why does God make us continually ask him for stuff? Why not just ask it once? Again, because God is after a relationship. God is not just wanting us to say, hey, Dad, can I have my inheritance and I'll never see you again? That's not what he's wanting. He's wanting a relationship where we continually ask him. We're continually being dependent. We're continually trusting in him. Number eight, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly, okay? Did we get this out of the book of Daniel? Daniel 9, 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. There is a sense in which we are to pray earnestly. Now, here's what this does and doesn't mean. This doesn't mean you have to put a lot of fake emotion into it, okay? So let's say that I really don't want it to rain tomorrow because we have some event going on. I'm like, God, please don't let it rain. And then I see the clouds, and I'm like, God, please don't let it rain. And then I start tearing my clothes and these kind of things. What am I putting my faith in in that point? God or my ability to pray hard enough? Putting in my ability to pray hard enough. But there is something to where we are supposed to pray earnestly. We see this constantly in the Bible, where we're begging God for things. Jesus is sweating drops of blood. There's an intensity to prayer, okay? Number nine, wait on the Lord. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord, that we are to wait on him. God, a lot of times, will answer our prayers, but he won't do it right then when we ask. He will make us wait. Kind of like if my son were to ask me if he could have a car today. I would say, you're two, but you can eventually have a car. Can I have it today? Wait. Can I have it today? It's coming. Wait. All right? So we are to wait on God. Again, why are we waiting? Why does he make us wait? He's fighting against our impatience. He's making us trust. He's making us have a relationship with him. He's making us day by day have daily bread. Number 10, practice prayer in private. Practice prayer in private. Matthew 6, 5 through 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you, okay? So praying in prayer, your own, your own prayer life, okay? This is something you do one-on-one uh, between you and God, but also praying, practice praying with others. Number 11, Acts 12, 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary and the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying, okay? So the Bible would teach us both to pray publicly and corporately, and would teach us to pray privately. Both of those are good, and you have to practice both of those to grow in your prayer life. <clears throat> Number 12, this is a weird one for Americans, but this is a biblical concept. This is a tough one for me. Fast. Fast. Some tips for effective prayer sometimes can be to fast. Acts 13.3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Matthew 6.18, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you, okay? So the Bible, we see several times in the Bible where fasting is done. What is fasting, okay? Fasting is not um, just doing some sort of ritual. Fasting is not uh, just trying to make yourself hurt to show God how much you love Him or something like that. The idea behind fasting, fasting is simply where you don't eat food for a period of time. The idea behind fasting is saying this, that man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And so when you're fasting, what you're saying is this, I don't want food. I don't want comfort. I don't want what's down here. I don't trust what's temporal. That's not what I need. God, I need you. 
I need you to move. I need you to sustain. If you don't sustain, bread from heaven comes from you. If you don't sustain, I die. It's a reminder in that moment that your deepest desire, your deepest hunger, your deepest longing is for God. And so the idea behind fasting is not, well, I'll just go through some pain and prove to God how much. You're not paying God for anything. Again, that's that's you trying to self-atone. The idea behind fasting is where you're saying, God, I don't want to be comforted. I don't want to trust in what I can grab. I want to trust in you. I want to trust in you. That's the idea behind fasting. Number 13, give God praise and thanksgiving in your prayers. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then I put a great little uh, quote there from Martin Luther. Pray and let God worry, all right? <clears throat> so here's the idea behind prayer, and then we're going we're gonna to look at a prayer modeled for us. If you, l- let's imagine for a second that God is in this room, and he's just invisible. By the way, both of those are true, okay? Both of those are true. How would you talk to him if he were just a person? You couldn't see him. He's invisible, but he's in this room. How would you talk to him? You wouldn't do rote. You wouldn't do some sort of ritual. You wouldn't use fancy words. If God was somehow sitting right over here, I would say, God, would you, would you help me? Here's where I'm struggling. And I'd have a conversation with him. If you will start praying that way, it will change your prayer life. If you will realize that God is a person you can talk to, and you're not doing a religious, a religious ritual, but rather you're having a conversation, what would that prayer look like? It'd probably look like a conversation where you'd say, God, here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I've sinned. Will you forgive me? I'm worried about this thing coming up at work. I'm worried about this thing in my marriage. I'm struggling with this. I don't want to carry those things. Those things are too heavy for me. Would you take those? And by the way, I thank you. Spend some time in your prayer praising God. I thank you that you're great. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that uh, everything's going to be okay. That's what prayer is. Prayer is just personal conversation with God. If you would see prayer as just talking to God like you would anyone else, respectfully, I get it, respectfully, but like you would to anyone else, it will change the way you pray. Okay, now what I want to do to end is I want to look at specifically how, uh, how Jesus says to pray, okay? So this comes out of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. And before Jesus gets to this prayer, he says how not to pray. <clears throat> so the disciples want to know how to pray, and Jesus is going to say, here's how you don't pray, and then he's going to model a prayer for us, and that's how we're going to pray to end our service. We're going to, I'm going to model this prayer for you, Okay? So first of all, this is Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. By the way, that's what I'm looking at now. I'm not updating my Twitter status. I'm just reading the Bible from a phone, just like Paul did. Uh, verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. The first thing Jesus says is don't pray for public showiness. Don't pray to show off how holy you are, okay? Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Again, God's not after mantras. This isn't witchcraft. This isn't making sure you say the right words or say it a bunch of times or, you know, have to say all your little, uh, little isms. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will, not be, that they will be heard for their many words. In paganism, the gods didn't care about you. So your job was somehow to manipulate them by using a substance, blood, water, some sort of something you were tapping into the meta-divine realm, or somehow trying to invoke them to emotion. And Jesus says, don't pray to God that way. That's a pagan way to pray. God actually cares about you. The demons that pagans worship don't actually care about them. That's why they have to heap up many words. Verse 8, 
do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. So this is the example of Jesus that, that, that He gives for us to pray. Pray then like this, and I have this here on your sheet. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Literally in Greek it says the evil. The idea is probably the evil one, the enemy. Now, here's what this prayer contains. This doesn't mean that every time you pray you can only say this prayer. Okay? This is a great prayer to pray. This is specifically called the Lord's Prayer. It's a great prayer. But it doesn't mean that every time you pray you can only pray about this. Jesus is giving the disciples a pattern for prayer. And so I want to look at each part of this. Look at the first thing that Jesus says. Don't be like the pagans who heap up empty phrases, but rather the first thing you need to realize about prayer is this, our Father in heaven. When you are praying, you are talking to Dad. That's the idea. When you're praying, you are talking to God as a Father. The first thing you need to realize in prayer is that there is a personal relationship here. The first thing you need to realize in prayer is that God loves you. Martin Luther, the German reformer we're going to talk about tonight, he would start his day by saying, God, I thank you that I'm accepted, and then everything else he would do that day would stem from that. Okay? So the first thing you need to know when you're praying is specifically you are praying to, you are praying to God as Father. I'm praying to dad. I'm talking to dad. I'm talking to someone who cares about me, that I have a relationship with, somebody into whose family uh, I've been adopted. Our Father in heaven. Second thing to know, hallowed be your name. Meaning, may your name be glorified. May your name be holy. May your name be set apart. The first thing I want to realize before I get to my God, here's my to-do list, my honey-do list. First thing I want to realize is, God, you're great. May your glory be exalted above the heavens. Okay? Hallowed be your name. The next thing. I realize you're Father. I realize I have a relationship with you. I realize that you're about your glory, so may you be glorified. The next thing I realize is your mission. Your mission. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's mission is the kingdom of God. His job is to get the world to look like heaven, if you will. To get the world to look like it did in Eden. What does it look like when everything in the entire universe is submitted to God? It looks pretty dang perfect. And that's exactly God's goal. And so what we're praying here is we're praying, God, may your kingdom go forward. May more people repent. May more people come to be saved and trust in Christ. May you continue pushing back what's evil in the world. May the poor be fed. May the hurt be healed. May you do a good work here. Next thing. Now we get into things. Now once we've realized God is Father, we've realized that He's holy, we've asked Him to continue what He's already doing, what He's about in the kingdom of God, we then get into request we need. Okay? Give us this day our daily bread. Meaning, give me what I need. Provide for me. You know I need food. You know I need money. You know I need a house. You know I need healing. You know I need whatever it is. Would you please give me what I need? Look at the next part. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Within prayer, there is this idea of, God, we need forgiveness. We need mercy. We've sinned against you. But also, that forgiveness is linked to my forgiving others. As the grace of God is being poured on me, I'm like a mirror, and I shine it towards that person who I don't like. And then lastly... And lead us not into temptation. Meaning, give us the ability to resist. Protect us. Keep us away. But deliver us from the evil. In Greek, it says the evil. The idea there is not that God delivers us from bad circumstances. The idea is probably the evil one. Some translations say the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the devil is what he's saying. And so the idea is, would you protect me? Would you protect me? Would you help me walk in holiness? Help me walk in righteousness. So, what I want to do is to end, I want to pray for us, because that'd be super weird. What if we didn't pray at all? What if I just dismissed you on the one day we were talking about prayer, okay? What I want to do is I want to pray this prayer just using different words. 
I want to take this prayer as it's modeled, and I want to pray a prayer for us today at Parkway, kind of based upon this pattern, just so you can see that, and then you guys will be dismissed. Remember, you can't pick up your kids till 10.15. We have them under quarantine with armed guards. But then at 10.15, you can pick them up. Feel free to mingle. Feel free to hang out, grab a cup of coffee, run to the restroom, and then uh, we're excited to see you guys in service. Let me pray for us to close us out modeling this prayer using some different words, okay? <clears throat> Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're a father to us and that you love your people here at Parkway, that we are like a, a, abused, wounded children that you've adopted, that you care for, and you know that we have problems, but you love us anyway because your love for us is not based upon something in us. It's based upon something in you because you're our father. We also ask that your name would be made great today, that as we sing, as we read the Bible, as we take communion, that people would realize that there is none like you, that there is no other gods, that you are the standard of truth. You are the standard of goodness. You're the standard of existence. You're the standard of everything that is good. You are holy and mighty and lifted up. And so we pray that we would better realize this, and we pray that you might take delight in our worship. We ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, meaning continue what you're doing. Continue pushing back what's evil in the world. Save souls. Crush the devil. Heal people. Heal marriages. Do the things that you do. We thank you for sending Christ who started the kingdom of God and we look forward to the day he returns to complete it. We ask that you give us what we need. We confess that as a church, we just need you. We need wisdom. We need finances. We need people. We need leaders. We need people serving. We need people helping in priesthood. There's so many things that we need. But the biggest thing we need is you. And so as we seek you first, would you give us what we need? Would you give us our daily bread? We ask that you'd forgive us our debts, that you would uh, forgive us where we've failed, forgive us in places where we've erred, where we've sinned, where we've been unkind, where we've uh, not been as tethered to the Bible as maybe we should be, whatever it might be. Would you forgive us for those things? And we just right now, if we have any uh, frustration towards someone in our hearts, we just want to give that to you. We just want to give you any anger, any bitterness, and we just ask you to heal our hearts of that anxiety and that bitterness and that frustration. And we forgive those people because you've forgiven us. And lastly, we ask that you'd lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, that you would protect us. As we go into service, the devil hates that. He wants us to not pay attention. He wants us to hear messages in a confusing way. He wants us to be thinking about other things. Would you protect us from him? Would you protect us from his temptations, from his wiles, from his evil ways, and help us be focused on your word? We love you. We thank you. We ask all this only because Christ has made a way and only because you've given us the Spirit. We don't have to fix ourselves. The Spirit's sanctifying us. We love you and we praise you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.